From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Hello out there in Radio Land. It is the best political talk show you've never heard of. From Studio A, joining me in studio, here is the former Biden political operative, Democrat type, and lawyer. He is Dan Littner. Hey, Daniel. Hello, and Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. And uh, directly across from me, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade, uh, the one we know as Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. On the on the hotline with us from the Bay State of Massachusetts at an undisclosed location, he's the author we know as Richard Bino. Hello, Richard. Hello. Uh, we're going to be joined by former Ohio State Senator and friend of the show, Capri Cafaro. She's going to be joining us here in the second half of this episode. We're going to talk to Capri about uh, the tragic events that happened uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago in uh, both San, uh, both El Paso and in Dayton. We're going to talk to her about the president's trip to Dayton and get her take on all of that. But first, uh, so... A lot of big wigs, both here in Washington, New York, all over the country, had a friend. His name was uh, financier Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein, along with being a big-time financial advisor and friend to powerful and famous people, also had a thing about trafficking in young women, young girls, for sex parties and sexual services. Uh, long story short is a strange deal that went down in the U.S. Attorney's Office of Southern District of Florida. He gets kind of a uh, a kind of a slap on the hand deal with the state of Florida. Finally, does a little bit of time, which some are calling comical, in a state facility. Yeah, it, it was time at his convenience. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but he was he was recently charges were recently brought against him in the Southern District of New York. Uh, where they brought up federal charges and was and those were some pretty serious charges. Uh, so he's taken into custody. Uh, he's remanded, held without bail, and is placed into the custody of the U.S. Department of Justice, the Bureau of Prisons, and put into a federal holding facility in Manhattan. Uh, over the weekend, on August 10th, uh, Jeffrey Epstein was found dead in his holding cell by what many are categorizing as suicide. Uh, the reports are that the uh, that the guards found Epstein inside his his uh, his cell. They entered, began giving medical attention. They heard yelling, "Breathe, Epstein, breathe!" Tried to revive him, no avail. Uh, it was, and there's. This has drawn everything from questions about the standard of care and observation in the federal prison system to conspiracy theories abounding, including being. <coughs> excuse me, I choke on this when I say it. There are conspiracy theories literally being almost promulgated by Trump insiders about why he died by Trump. Himself. I'm I was trying, I was trying to be nice. The- okay, yeah, well, Trump himself is actually retweeting uh, conspiracy theories. But there are so many questions about this. There's so many issues. Let's talk about the big issue at hand. Uh, Sharmila Chari, does this end? Oh, Sharmila's not with us. That's right. I forgot about that. I was 
kind of hoping she'd join us for this uh, for this show. Uh, Dan, as an attorney, let me go to you. Does this end the case against Jeffrey Epstein, essentially, or is there more investigating that needs to be done, even though Jeff's no longer with us anymore? Uh, there's a lot more investigating that needs to occur. And in the world of conspiracy theories, based on absolutely nothing, let me t- let me rattle through the things that we don't know. And I mean, this is based on absolutely nothing. We don't know that Donald Trump isn't implicated in this. We don't know that Donald Trump Jr. is implicated in this. We don't know that Eric Trump isn't implicated in this. We don't know uh, that Jared Kushner isn't implicated in this. We don't know if Jeffrey Epstein maybe was looking for a pardon from his his estranged friend, Donald Trump. If there are conspiracy theories out there, there are things that we don't know. Um, Let me be clear. What I just said is based on absolutely nothing. That said, it's insane that the president of the United States uh, forwarded a tweet against people who have been out of office for 18 years and the current president of the United States and his administration seemingly dropped the ball entirely on, on, on what's going on here. And those conspiracy theories are going to continue on and the seeming incompetence uh, hopefully, at least it's just a minimum of incompetence um, of the of the uh, the federal prison that uh, did not handle their the, their own protocols as as dictated for um, doing rounds every thirty minutes. Um, one of the guards was not a full time guard. The the staffing issues and just today they apparently transferred the the warden that'll right. fix everything um, now, there are lots of investigations the... to go forward and it, and it's worth noting it's also an apparent suicide the 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 coroner in new york has not made a decision yet correct and and we should also be clear uh, this is not the first time that he has Attempted suicide. Yes, two weeks ago was his first attempt. Correct. Two days later, they took him off of suicide watch. Oh, God. You have this tone of conspiracy theory just oozing out of you right now. No, I have this tone of contempt for the, <laughs> for, for a president of the United States forwarding anything, so I am going to Al- respond tit for tat. Alan, so Alan the Moore- things that we don't know have as much credibility as what the president of the United States tweeted out. I mean, Alan Moore, I, I mean, is there is there legitimacy to... The is there legitimacy for people to be skeptical in the conspiracy theories about what happened to abound? Well, <laughs> there's certainly a reasonable basis to to wonder to to question all of this because of the, this very strange pattern uh, of events. It it certainly looks like like Epstein uh, had little to live for, given uh, the the direction things were headed. Once once bail Any good once he was arre- to make it look like that. Once he was arrested uh, and once bail was denied, um, and uh, and it looked like he was going to be held uh, for a long time, and new accusers were coming forward. Um, lots and lots of people presumably were involved in helping make this happen. One or two in particular who have a lot to worry about. And then who knows, everybody in the Epstein uh, 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 circle of employees and so on is, is, is a potential source of information because they have some potential exposure. Um, and and uh, with regard to the conspiracy stuff, um, it is pretty bizarre that um, 
that a guy who two and a half weeks earlier had had apparently attempted uh, to, uh, to to do himself harm and was in fact on a suicide watch for I think it was four or five days it doesn't really matter and then was removed from it uh, curiously um, and there are a whole host of things we're all learning if we're reading this stuff that you do when somebody's on suicide watch you you you, you don't give them bed sheets you 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 have you take away their shoelaces, certain clothing that they have belts, to have, and yeah. they always have a roommate. And the roommate's job, in part, his role in part, is to is to keep track of things and make sure that that uh, that no no harm. Uh, that that no self harm uh, shall occur. None of that was done, and but even even after they took him off suicide watch for questions that somebody's going to have to explain, then you're still supposed to check in on him every every half an hour. But it turns out that they didn't check on him for hours. So, oh, it, it was this gross incompetence. It's it's uh, I I can't help saying that all the controversy about about privatization of prisons and how, gosh, how can you have a for-profit company providing prison services? Well, when you let government do it, this may be what you get sometimes. Uh, I, I, so, I'm a little biased. So, I'm a little biased so, on this, only because of the fact that uh, to help pay for college, I was actually a corrections officer for the state of Georgia in a maximum security facility. I will tell you, it is a suck job, and I would like to see... I'm like Alan. I would like to see the full investigation. I'd like to give them due process on I, this. I, I just, wa- I just want to know what Alan's interest in this. That he's trying to change the uh, focal point. <laughs> what Al- Al- Alan? Did you have something to do with Jeff- Jeffrey Epstein's death? So I have no comment <laughs> on what happened to Epstein. Um, I mean, it, 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 it's just so bizarre. He 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 apparently did grotesque and horrible things to scores, if not hundreds, of little girls with the assistance and support of a, a kind of this, this, this network of people uh, around him. It's conceivable and possible that some of his friends also took advantage of some of these girls. We don't know that, but a couple of these girls have alleged that to be the case. I think it's important. I think there's more that, to be seen that, about that, this. That, 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 we, yep. that we learn as much as we can. It's also really important um, that, 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 that girls who can, who, who can make uh, uh, credible cases of harm being done to them um, should be compensated out of the extraordinary wealth that he apparently uh, had accumulated. Which, the, by the way, the, there's now a law that went into effect uh, today, the day that we're recording this, in New York that would allow them to recover damages as a result of this, even from his estate. Which I mean, I don't. Positive. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if that's a totally new law. I would. No, brand, brand, literally, brand no. But I'm just saying that I, I would, I would think that that estates of of uh, of people who against whom uh, credible charges in civil court are are made yeah, uh, would have the, law the ability would allow it, allow to for it. to recover. Mm-hmm. There may be some new rights that 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 went into effect here, but. But I think that it was always uh, my assumption that so he's out of the picture. Um, uh, people say, "Oh, he he didn't have to have his day in court." Yeah, but he took another road. Road apparently that that's not any great road uh, e- either. Um, he it looked like he was facing a lifetime in prison, and and 
a lifetime in prison in which he would be surrounded by people who hated in, in prisons who hated his crimes. If assuming he would have, assuming he would be convicted of all of those things, he yep. wasn't looking towards anything great. He was from day one, from the day bail was denied, he should have been on suicide watch. But here's the thing is, for every time that, and this is what gets me, every time that the Bureau of Prisons has a great, great story to tell, look, we've held terrorists. We've held when Timothy. When do they have a great story to tell? Oh, the fact that they've kept Timothy McVeigh, the Unabomber, uh, they've kept uh, uh, El Chapo inside uh, who, and somebody who has literally paid or broken his way out of just about every maximum security facility in Mexico, at, at the same time, you look at them and you say, okay, good job on that. But I look at Whitey Bulger and I look at this. Whitey Bulger, what does he have to do with the Federal Bureau of Prisons? Whitey Bulger was killed in a Federal Bureau of Prisons transfer facility in West Virginia uh, on his way to a medical, uh, met a Federal Bureau of Prisons Medical yep. facility, so it's got a lot to do. And this is now the second high-profile screw-up for the Bureau of Prisons, which, by the way, is overseen by the Department of Justice. Which means that Rich Rubino, the Clintons run that, right? N- no, no, close. Oh, and I'll get to the Clintons in a second. Rich Rubino. That means that the Attorney General Bill Barr has jurisdiction not only over the Bureau of Prisons, but the investigation into this crime. Why yeah. has, should Bill Barr recuse himself because of the relationship between his father, who hired Epstein at Harvard, yep. or, or is he right to stay put where he is? I think he should absolutely recuse himself. Um, just you know, there may not be an impropriety, but there's a, certainly an appearance of impropriety, and that's an issue that's always going to be used. But I want to actually start off on the Clintons here, because this goes. <laughs> Because this whole Clinton conspiracy thing, it's really been mainstream. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, Rich, Rich, Rich. We all know that that the Clintons did this, and, it, and oh, okay. they have a history of doing this. <laughs> well, it's funny because, so somebody came up to me recently and said, you know why I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton last time? And I said, well, why is that? And he said, well, you know, she's a serial killer. And I said, she is. And I said, yeah, the guy said, yeah, I said, my stepfather told me that. And I said, oh, okay. And then when people start, you know, when people go into this rhetoric, eventually you just kind of listen and you just kind of nod your head and you just kind of walk away because it's become so mainstreamed. Basically, what this, this all goes back to what's called the Clinton Chronicles. In 1994, there was an 85-minute movie, and the movie goes back to, it basically, it's, it's, entire, its entirety was going back to Clinton's reign as governor of Arkansas. It talked about Amina Airport and how supposedly Clinton was a drug runner. All the conspiracies about Clinton that he that he had that he had murdered had people murdered who were witnesses, and there's this, there was a small group of people who had believed this. It was later it was later um, it was later revealed that some of the people that were in this movie were actually paid in this were actually paid paid to be in, to be part of this movie. Some of them said that they had basically said it based on spite. Some of the allegations in this movie were some that people could potentially believe that, for example, the, the trooper, what was known as Troopergate, that some of the troopers who worked with him when he was governor of Arkansas would take him around the state, and he would essentially, you know, he would, they would, he would essentially get woman, and then he would bring him back to the governor's mansion. Others were essentially that he was, that he, had, that he was a mass murderer, and there were all these crimes going back to Arkansas. And then but I mean, even Rich, even in well, even in the White House. Wait, wait, I mean, I, I, oh, wait I'm taking it back. You mean some of this right wing nonsense? It isn't credible. Yeah, and, I know. And, shocking. And, and, I know. Shock, I'm wait, shocked. Wait, wait. Gambling in this casino. 
explain more to me, Rich, please. Oh, wait, 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 wait. So Rich, Rich, thing. we so haven't mentioned <laughs> we haven't even mentioned the infamous Whitewater attorney murder yet. Oh, that's well, that's what I'm getting to next. So then you get Vince Foster, Vince Foster, who's Bill Clinton's childhood guys, friend. Guys, goes, goes guys, guys, I think Hope, we're Arkansas. digging in, our, digging ourselves no, in no, here. No, 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 yes. no, no, no. We want to give every, we want to give everybody. No, equal when, time. when the president of the United States actually, <laughs> and this is the, the bully pulpit being used, even just to forward this nonsense changes the tone which is why i completely I, agree with you but i don't see any benefit in going back and talking about a dozen different charges that were made against because, because, I, because I will tell you where what. this all, because this because what happened is this became it was an ex, it was an extreme position back in 1994 it was basically peddled by a few not on the right but the far right and now it's become part of mainstream culture so many people even some people who are sanders supporters say that well, look at the look at the Clintons, and the, the argument they make is essentially look at how many people were associated with them that died under mysterious circumstances. They go back to the first one is Vince Foster. They, yeah, it's all part of the Arkansas and, project, folks. And the I, know project. Oh, I know absolutely. this. I know this. And then it goes Richard Mellencamp. I, I one don't of the think people. we're helping ourselves by listing all of those charges. Oh no, no, no! I, 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 I see what you're saying, Alan. And and the thing about it is, I disagree. Which, I think, which coming I, I back, wanna... let's just come back to to, to the basic fact. The, pres- the Clintons Wait. left office in January of 2018, years ago. 19 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the suggestion that the deep state is still being run by the Clintons with, let's count but, the presidents in between, eight years of George W. Bush, eight years of Barack Obama, and two and a half horrible years of Donald Trump. But this is, but this is worse idea. than that, though. <laughs> no, 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 but this is worse than that. We're talking about, uh, you know, main, we are talking about... What we view as credible media outlets, and by that I mean Fox News and their supports, you look at Sean Hannity, you look at Tucker Carlson, you look at anybody in that primetime lineup that literally- They're not reporters. They, whatever They're you want to call them. Commentators. Yeah. Yep. Whatever. You sit there and you watch them promulgate and give out of their mouth in the view of their viewers legitimacy- you cannot let me be clear about this. Does anybody on this show believe that either President or Hillary Clinton had anything to do directly or even slightly indirectly with any of these murders, whether it was the IT server scandal of the guy who came out of the DNC, oh God, or no. it was Vince Foster, Ron Brown? Ron Brown does anybody on this show honestly believe that the Clintons had anything to do with them? Honestly, Absolutely not. No. But, Let me, yep. go ahead, Rich. I was just going to say, what I, here's my response to people who essentially who've become, who've mainstreamed this thinking that the Clintons are in charge of all these murders. Look at everybody who's accused the Clintons of something, of something horrendous that has essentially lived through this. Juanita Broderick says that when he was, that he was running for governor of Arkansas, she worked on his campaign he was attorney general at the time, says that he says that made the allegations that he raped her. She, nothing has happened to her. Kathleen Willey. Kathleen Willey made the allegations that after her husband had died, Bill Clinton propositioned her. Nothing happened to her. Paula Jones made a very similar allegation. Nothing happened to her. Larry Nichols, who was what, Larry Nichols, one of the state troopers, nothing happened to him. David Hale, 
who basically perpetrated the whole white, the whole Whitewater. He was the he was the the witness for the now, prosecution in Whitewater. Nothing happened to him. So why me, would these, me get, why would these certain people something happen to right. when these other people were making these accusations? Why I, I would see the Alan, had this Alan getting, power? Yeah, no, right, 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 hold on, everybody, hold Alan's on, hold on. Alan's, Alan's, point here Alan's, now. Alan's, Alan's discontent now. I mean, no, I wanted to try and cut it off. I hope we were going to go to a different direction <laughs> at this point. That's it. Now we're talking about all the people who should have been killed but weren't. Right, exactly. Are we going here? No, no, we no, let me bring it back Epstein. into focus. No, let I me think... bring it back. Let me bring it back to focus here. The reason why is because, and, and first of all, the right wingers are. I mean, the left wingers are also uh, not completely exempt from this as well because they've already brought up. The there fact are a lot of people that are still in positions are... of power that have a lot more to lose for their association with Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein. And that's not even necessarily the ickiness of uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the sexual issues uh, with underage girls. Right. There is a l- very large question about Jeffrey Epstein's finances that— Not just finances, but his finances in campaign contributions. This is— a bigger deal than everything's than everybody's giving it, it, it credit it is, for. It is a much much larger issue, um, and Epstein's finances are, based on all the reporting I've seen, seem to be a giant mystery um, as far as where the money came from and 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 who his his, his benefactors have been. So the opening up of his books uh, with his death um, sort of changes things, and it will be interesting to see. Uh, who is fighting to keep things quiet um, now that Epstein no longer has has a voice with that? And Alan Moore, when we and this is still a developing story, and this is something that obviously is we're going to be looking at down the road. We will not, from this point forward, talk about the conspiracy theories unless it, unless the president tr- tweets one. Then we'll just mention the tweet. But again, let me be clear. We do not believe that the Clintons were involved in any direct murders. We do not believe that Epstein, in fact, was murdered. If it was proved that he was murdered, then fine. We'll deal with that. Anyway, anyway let me be clear. I said I don't think he was murdered by the Clintons. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. You are not helping this. Anyway, Alan, no, we what, don't I mean, know. That's why they do the investigation. And we'll let the investigation play out. But the, I don't think the Clintons had anything to do with it. But, but what I'm getting at right now is, Alan, you know, there's a lot of nervous people right now. Uh, do you think that Bill Barr will give full authority to the Bureau to do this independently? Absolutely. And, and he'll call the Inspector General in. He's going to be very, very Is careful. Is it the Inspector General or the Bureau? I, I'm guessing both. I don't I don't know that you just turn it over to the Bureau because they were the, 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 the line of command. I'm, I don't share they the— investigate, I, They're the ones that investigate murders in federal facilities. Fair enough. So they need to go look. But there's this is a big enough one. I'm not of the view that that Barr should uh, recuse himself, but it's not. You know, they'll sort that out. There's no. There's no way that he's going to. If he, if if he does oversee this thing, there's no way he's going to do anything to impede uh, or 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 harm. He may just decide I don't need this crap. Um, but at the same time, it is his department, his jurisdiction, and he's got uh, ultimate responsibility. Yeah, and that's the music of the Clintons coming up on you. To get <laughs> the ready Clinton to, Chronicles, second they're, edition. They're starting, they're starting to come up on you. They're, they know where you are. I mean, yeah. Anyway. And they are remarkably powerful to stay in power after being out of office for 18 years. <laughs> 
There's a lot of power in Chappaqua, New York these days. Chappa yeah, Chappaqua's center of the earth. Anyway, <laughs> uh, when we come back, we're going to talk something about a little something more serious. Uh, we're going to have uh, our friend Senator Capri Cafaro going to be on talk about what happened up in uh, Dayton, El Paso, and the president's empathy. We'll talk about that when we come back to Spectrum Politics. Stay with us. Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And we are back here. Greetings from Studio A. You know, joining us as we love to have her. She's become a great fan of the show and, and, and a good friend of the show. And we cannot believe that she's back with us again. She is uh, the former state senator from the great state of Ohio, Capri Kafar. Capri, how are you doing, Senator? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming back. You know, we love having you. And uh, I know you got a busy schedule, but we we wanted to talk to you. First of all, let me start off by saying uh, our hearts and sympathies are out to you and everybody in Ohio, particularly there in Dayton at the tragedy that happened uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, And... I wanted to get you and, and get your thoughts on exactly, you know, what happened, how well the police reacted, uh, and get your take on how you feel the investigation's going. Sure. Well, and we certainly do appreciate it. I mean, I know all of Ohio's uh, heart has been breaking, uh, you know, since this tragedy occurred, um, I guess, almost two weeks ago coming up this this upcoming weekend. Um, and, uh, you know, it's... It, the, the, as far as the police invest, or the police response is concerned, and, and I know this has been widely reported, um, but it basically took 30 seconds for them to to um, respond to the scene because it was a densely populated entertainment district in in the Dayton area. Now, full disclosure, I'm from the total opposite end of the state, from Dayton, so that is, you know, Western Ohio. I'm from far northeastern Ohio, so I can't claim to be as uh, familiar with. 
um, in the region, but our, co- but our country has become familiar um, with Dayton, with its mayor, Nan Whaley, who I think has exhibited a, a great amount of strength, um, you know, in, in a very trying time. Um, and Ohio has been front and center in, um, you know, what has now become a resurgence of a, of a very serious policy and emotional policy discussion um, because of, um, you know, back-to-back-to-back gun violence, first in Gilroy, California, then in El Paso, Texas, and then less than 24 hours later in Dayton. Um, and I, you know, will say that uh, what we are seeing now is um, Democrats and Republicans coming together in Ohio um, on strengthening gun legislation, uh, including things like background checks. So you have a Democrat and Republican in the state Senate now actually joining forces. Um, and the Republican co-sponsor there is, is um, a woman from the Dayton area, Peggy Lehner, who I served with for a number of years. Um, the Republican congressman from there, Mike Turner, has stepped up and said that he's taking a second look at, uh, you know, the issue of, um, you know, gun control, quote unquote, because his daughter was in the community. And then our, our governor, Mike DeWine, again, another Republican, um, has, has also taken some serious steps um, and listening to the people um, of Dayton and, and uh, of Ohio that basically came up to him and said, do something. He came to the community and, you know, was essentially greeted with, you know, hundreds of right. constituents saying, do something. Right. Senator, I mean, does it does it surprise you or does does that warm your heart to see? I mean, Mike DeWine is not a exactly a what you would call a a moderate by any stretch of the imagination. No, no he he, Mike DeWine and John Kasich are two very different individuals. Right? Does it does it for anyone that is not familiar with Ohio and has seen a lot of John Kasich recently in the last few years? John Kasich and Mike DeWine, even though they've served for a similar amount of time, are very different people. Is Mike DeWine in danger of taking? any hits for this approach because he's literally come out after the tragedy in Dayton and come up with both red flag laws, background check laws, uh, and a couple of other proposed efforts that he's working with the folks in Columbus on a bipartisan issue. Is there any word that you're hearing that there might be political blowback on a national level on what Governor DeWine is doing? Well, here's here's my take on it. I'm not convinced and, and not that I have any insider information on this, because I do not. But if I were to read the tea leaves, my assumption would be that, that Mike DeWine, who has been working his entire career to be the governor of the state of Ohio and is finally there, um, sees this as, as an opportunity not about reelection, but about service and making difficult decisions. I mean, he... He presented a transportation budget that increased the gas tax in Ohio, okay? So, I mean, so he is on—he seems to be unafraid of the political implications, which makes me think that he, he may not want to run for re-election um, in a few years. But that is sheer trajectory. I have no idea if that's true. But, um, you know, whether or not his moves somehow have a, you know, down-ballot impact, maybe— uh, but I don't think so. I think that, you know, there there obviously is, you know, particularly, I mean, certainly there will be folks that will, you know, will, will always be more stringent and rigid when it comes to their views on the Second Amendment. But I, I think that it seems as if at least the climate right now is we can't wait any longer. And when you see, you know, I wouldn't say a critical mass, but a growing number 
of Republicans coming to the table and saying that, you know, now is that that we cannot wait any longer. Um, I, I think that that it is not as politically risky um, as as uh, it may have been, um, you know, before last week. The sad state of affairs is that people have to die in order for legislators but, to react. But, Senator, do you really do you are you, are you confident that. I mean, we're talking about a staunchly Republican legislature there in Columbus. Yeah. Are you confident that they will come together, get behind Governor DeWine, and push these measures through in well, total I mean, or just some I part? Say, I would say this. And again, I've been out for two and a half years. So the players are, some of them are different. Some of them are recycled in different positions. <laughs> Uh, some of them are the same. Um, and remember, we have term limits, but that doesn't mean that. But that also enables people to jump from one chamber to the other. Right. As I as I just recently saw, I mean, as I said, that we have there is a there is a bipartisan Democrat and Republican sponsored bill that I believe deals with with background checks um, that, that is in the Senate. Now, the, the Senate, you know, uh, has traditionally been, even though it is a it is a um, supermajority of Republicans in that chamber, they still remain less, I think, bitterly partisan than the House. Um, and it always has been that way um, in, in the upper chamber. And so I think that the possibility of a, a bill passing the Senate is higher, um, again, particularly because you have, uh, you know, the woman who rep- one of the women who represents the Dayton area on that bill. It's going to be a lot harder to say no to her. Um, but then the House is much more conservative, um, but they have a strange party. They have a strange power structure right now because they have a Speaker of the House that used to be Speaker of the House in the early 2000s that cut a bunch of deals with Democrats to get enough votes to be where he is. So he beholds to a bunch of Democrats that he put in committee chairmanships. So it's real inside baseball stuff. But the right. bottom line is, is that. Because a Repub- because a Republican speaker is basically like really 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 transactional, and is subsequently beholden to Democrats in ways that maybe Republican speakers wouldn't have been. Right. And anything can happen now. Let's um <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about uh, what happened this past week, Senator. Uh, President Trump went to both Dayton and. Uh, went to both Dayton and El Paso after the tragic shootings. And there's conflicting reports coming out of both sides. Uh, Let me get your take from what you know about the meeting where apparently uh, the mayor, uh, Mayor Whaley and and, uh, Senator Sherrod Brown, apparently didn't hold punches in the meeting with Donald Trump. What's your take on all this? Well, I think it's an opera. I mean, uh, ultimately, you know, you have, um, and yes, they are Democrats, but they are also public servants that are duly elected by the people of Ohio. And I think, you know, they had an opportunity to sit with the president of the United States, and we're not going to pass up that opportunity to advocate for their constituents um, after, you know, a significant tragedy that impacted their community and their state. So, you know, while, uh, you know, there's a lot of finger pointing on who politicized this. Um, and you can make an argument, I think, on either side of who's politicizing what, um, you know, when it comes to any of these tragedies, but this one, too. Um, you know, it would be – and I know Sherrod much better. I, I don't really know him really personally, but, um, you know, it would be my assumption that 
they were in that room and they knew they had a captive audience with the president of the United States and weren't going to waste it. Do you feel that do you feel that the president's visit was appropriate number 1 and on a separate level did he I mean did he show the level of empathy that that he was that you would expect from the president there in Dayton cuz I know the reports that we're getting out of El Paso are some of them are are just you know head scratching at one point and just mm-hmm. mind numbing to the other extent. But let's focus on what we know in Dayton. Was it appropriate, and did he show the right empathy? I, you know, again, I wasn't in any of these rooms, but but I can say this from what I have seen, and you know, whether it has been through news reports or through you know some of the sentiments that had been uh, conveyed by President Trump through his Twitter account. That um, you know, I don't believe that his that he exhibited the level of empathy that we would expect from a quote unquote comforter in chief. Um, you know, particularly as he mixed it up, you know, talking about the presidential candidates being losers, uh, referencing Beto O'Rourke, and and I think ir- uh, erroneously referencing Sherrod Brown. I think he met Tim Ryan basically saying that they're losers and they're 1% and all the rest of this stuff, um, you know, and, and so that's obviously not the appropriate time to be lobbing insults, um, you know, and, and that sort of thing and giving a thumbs up, uh, you know, in, in a picture with a, a baby that, whose parents had just died from being shot in El Paso. I mean, so there, there's, a, there's a lot that's left to be desired there, to, to put it mildly, Um but I think that there's also part of it where the American people, for better or worse, have come to just accept the fact that President Trump doesn't, whether he's an empathetic person in real life, who knows, but he obviously is not a person that has been able to convey that in an effective manner to the American public at the time in which he's been able to do it um, off teleprompter. But, I mean, so, but Senator, to me, it, it, it seems that, Particularly in a crisis, I mean, I have ties back to Orlando, and I remember the Orlando Pulse shooting, and I remember the, you know, the reaction of all the state players and all the federal players. You know, I was was never really a big fan of Rick Scott when he was governor. Rick Scott actually, actually stood up and actually did a good job of not only being a state consular in chief, but also, you know, going against the band. Uh, I remember, and of course, President Obama's response to the Pulse night shooting. It, looking at it, because this now directly affects your home state, a state that you know right. you were very proud of. You, you know, shouldn't we come to expect that? All right, look, you know what you're capable of. This is not a photo op- uh, uh, opportunity. If you're not going to give us the empathy that we need, please send somebody that will. You know, I, and and I hear you on that. I agree with that. I think it, there's there's a it's a no win situation. Um, you know, I think that if if Trump didn't go the, as president of the United States to these communities, he would be ridiculed for saying he didn't show up. Um, you know, and I would say this as well that the that the El Paso circumstance and the Dayton circumstance are different in in the sense that the El Paso shooter. You know, from everything that we know at the, you know, at this point was very, you know, racially motivated about uh, hating immigrants and this sort of thing and targeting certain, you know, groups, even though apparently he stumbled upon the Walmart because he was hungry. Who knows? But, um, you know, whereas the the person in Dayton, you know, was um, had a history of a different type of disturbance, um, 
keeping a, a hit list, a rape list, you know, a whole host of other things. Not to say that both of these individuals are not mentally ill um, or, you know, have underlying mental health issues that, you know, cause some of these things. But um, they're, they are different. I think that, that President Trump had no choice but to show up. Um, but I, I do think that, unfortunately, and as, again, we've become accustomed to, he has not necessarily risen to the occasion. Now, I will give him some credit to say that he seems more willing to have a conversation in regards to gun control issues, because, you know, while these people may be mentally deranged, um, you know, and, and have different types of motivation, obviously, you know, guns are a common factor here. And I say that as someone who was endorsed by the NRA my entire career. Alan Moore. Yeah, I, I think the point about about the president is well made that that he really had no choice. Uh, he would he 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 would have uh, received an enormous amount of criticism had he not gone. It's also the case he doesn't do this very well. Um, they they're at least smart enough now to keep the cameras away, do it privately, yeah. and he brings his wife. And we never hear any criticism right. about her. And I think Agreed. she probably has a level of genuine empathy that she's able to show and display. Uh, we don't get to see sure. that. And, and I will say this, though. You know, one way that we do see that, to be honest, is that when certain tragedies have happened, Melania oftentimes is the first person that you hear from tweeting a, you know, we're so sad to hear, and you know, our hearts go out to fill-in-the-blank community. She oftentimes is the first person to come out and actually express some kind of sorrow before even President Trump. It's worth noting that, according to the reporting, uh, the White House communications team deliberately wanted to keep some of the cameras away because apparently within the White House, it's understood that the president is not very good at this. However, apparently uh, President Trump was displeased at the lack of cameras, and which is part of his frustration uh, that supposedly, again, this is all based oh, we, we on, have, on, we have on multiple on, media sources that, that have suggested this, that, right. which is, again, insane. <clears throat> a, a statesman, somebody who had empathy, somebody who had some level of grace could simply have said, this is not a time for politics nor cameras. I'm going to meet with these families and simply have turned the cameras away yeah. entirely. He actually would have, ha by turning the cameras away, he actually could have done something to seemingly you, you rise know, here, above here, here's the moment. The funny thing about it is, is I, I remember, uh, I remember you know President Bush forty three getting criticized for not going directly doing the flyover after Katrina. Uh, when people ask him about it, you know, why didn't you go? Is right. his comment was the last thing they need is motorcades and all right. those police officers that are working the streets and taking care of their family doing protective detail on me. I needed to get this to get some area yeah, familiarization. He, 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 was, he was actually he the right, right with that. The, he was the, actually the, right with that, but the, it took the, a lot the, of criticism. The, 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 the photo op of, and it was a stage photo op of Air Force One flying over him looking out, out the, the window, window was, bad what, 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 what was a failure on the communications team. There is, right. the, okay, I, I, well, I don't think it was we, President we, uh, we Bush's fault there. We can talk for hours there. about the failures of FEMA and Katrina, too. So, I mean, there's, there's a two-pronged issue 
you there. I mean, right. No, you know, and that's and that's a far more substantive issue. Wrong, I, th- I think yep. we did things right as far as you know, not drawing resources away. I agree with that. And by the way, and by the way, Senator, I will have that debate with you all day long as somebody who is a big advocate for FEMA. So, but that's another show. Well, that's another show. <laughs> oh, hold on, Alan Moore, then Richard. Yeah, I just I just wanted to say though that it, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. Um, uh, you, you're talking about Mike Dewine. I knew Mike Dewine when he was in the Senate. And of course, he would. Sure. You were talking about how he always wanted to be governor. I think he would like to have still been a senator, um, but <laughs> Sherrod Brown made 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 that not possible. Two thousand and six. Sure. And then he hung yep. hung in there, and he became attorney general, and now he's governor. I mean, he's a guy who who he's got. He, he's, 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 he was he was lieutenant governor to George Voinovich. Right. Long, long ago. And then he. Yeah. So he's had a long history there. And and uh, and he thought, OK, I can't do this. Well, then what else can I do? I think I'll go do that. I, I have a lot of admiration uh, for for him and, and would never doubt his sincerity. It's interesting with the president, the president for the, the last two years has been on kind of both sides of this particularly background yeah. check issue, this time it might stick. I mean, just as just at the point where people think, oh, my God, this president is hopeless on this issue or that issue, um, suddenly he flips again. Now, he's flipped and flopped and flipped and flopped several mm-hmm. times on this one, but he's gotten out there pretty far, um, and, and it wouldn't surprise me in this case if we actually uh, do toughen up the, the background check there, issue. There was the public meeting where he said, I would take the bullets from the NRA. No, no, I'm well, uh, that's, on that's, previous that's, that's right. my point. Walked away. That's right. my point. Yeah, he has yeah, been no, I mean, public yeah. uh, back and forth, back and forth. This one feels different to me, um, uh, partly because over time there's this demand on the part of the public. Do something. Don't tell us why this won't wouldn't have worked. Do something. Senator? Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I mean, and I think, again, because I think what really shook up America more than than the usual, and, and it has become so incredibly uh, quotidian, which is just unbelievable. Um, you know, these we just accept mass shootings as part of our lives at this point. I mean, when Columbine happened 20 years ago, you know, it was such a starkly unbelievable event that, you know, all of us still remember. Yeah, but but like, Senator, hold on, hold on. Let me just jump in real quick, Senator. I mean, this, this the, the fact that you make the statement that, is, you know, that mass shootings have become part of our, our of our public, of our daily lives almost. I mean, does that not just break your heart, the fact that one of the most powerful nations in the world is dealing with mass shootings at this level, to this extent, and it's not... It's just not discriminatory. We're killing young people, old people, regardless yeah. of race or, or background. Oh no, it's it's it is. I mean, heartbreaking is really the only way to put it. And I can tell you that I mean, uh, in 2012, in, in one of the communities that I ultimately represented after redistricting, um, we had a school shooting and four kids died. Um, so I mean, in the little commu- picket fence community of Chardon, Ohio, that could not right. be more idyllic and picturesque. Um, as as a you know uh, a perfect midwestern community, um, so this re- it really is non discriminatory. And there are I mean look there are there's a difference between mass shootings, and you know a, a lot of people say well why isn't anyone paying attention to you know inner inner city you know uh, 
gun violence and crime. That's a significant issue, too, whether it's the inner city of Chicago, the District of Columbia, the east side of Youngstown, Ohio, East Cleveland. I mean, it's pervasive as well. Though I think that the causation behind the gun violence in the inner cities is very different than, you know, the causes behind some of these mass shootings. Um, you know, but I think in this particular moment in time, because it literally was essentially back-to-back Right. Um, instances. I th- and then it was Gilroy a week before. We're already forgetting about Gilroy, which is crazy in and of itself. So Gilroy was the Saturday before El Paso. Right. And we already forgot it. We already forgot about Dre, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, and and so how we've already, you know, by the time we got to El Paso, we forgot about Gilroy. And then El Paso happens and then you wake up the next morning and Dayton happened. Right. So I think that it was just yep. this, my goodness, is it ever going to end? And I think, I think sadly that one-two punch it is what it may have taken to have America, you know, really stand to attention and and try to start to have a serious substantive conversation on the issue of guns. And again, I say that as someone who was endorsed by the NRA for a decade, who voted for a cast and co-sponsored the Castle Doctrine, so you could defend yourself without a duty to retreat in your home. That voted for guns in bars because I believe in individual proprietors' rights to be able to say no, you can't come in here with this. And so if you're gonna if you're gonna go into a bar with a gun, you're already you know gonna cause trouble. I mean, so I I you know am not gonna be a hypocrite about this, but. Things have changed significantly, and we have to think twice about how we handle background checks, gun show loopholes, person-to-person sales. Right. And before I go to to Richard Bino, let me just put the rubber on the road here, uh, Senator. Uh, If you were still in office in Ohio or if you were elected to federal office, do you— Implement or do you not implement a assault rifle ban nationwide? Um, I, you know, I I think that you have to. Defi- I mean, I would have to see what it looks like. You would have to define how assault rifle is. But I mean, I would think that like we have to have that conversation. I mean, you know, a lot of people that said like, okay, like you know, just let the assault rifle ban lapse t- in two thousand and four are now coming around and saying, you know, no. So I mean, I would have to say depending on how it looks, but I think that it's de- it would definitely be something I would consider. I mean, I hate to say anything blanketly because, you know, you can get into nuances in regards to well, magazines. Let me simplify it. Stocks and all the rest of it. Senator, let me simplify it. Do, do you see any reason that a civilian should have access to a tactical rifle like an AR-15, uh, an, HK, an HK-7? No, or- I mean, and that's what I'm saying. Like, so, so the question becomes, how do you write that in statute without explicitly calling out you know, you'd have to then make sure that you amend it constantly to update it for a specific model. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. And and so, you know, it's, it's you know, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to ban an AR-15 because when the next thing comes out, you're going to have to ban it too. So I, I know I'm getting in the weeds. Um, well, you could have I, a fairly like, easy uh, ban on high-capacity magazines. Well, no, yeah, nobody, that's another story. Nobody needs more than yeah. nine rounds to, to, to take down 100%. a deer. And, that, and that's an easy way to do it. You're absolutely right. High-capacity magazines is an easy way to do it. And actually codifying the, the executive order on banning bump stocks to turn weapons into fully automatic weapons is, a, is, a, is an easy way to do it, too. But, I mean, we can't solve all the world's problems today. <laughs> well, right. All the world's problems in, yep. in, uh, in 30 minutes. But... Sure. Says you. I mean, 
We're a pretty powerful show, Senator. To conclude on all of this, if crafted correctly, like we have just discussed, I would I would definitely consider voting for. Rich Rubino, go ahead real quick. Yeah, it was just interesting because I know you had support from the NRA. How... How do Democrats um, kind of appeal to members? Appeal to members of the NRA in terms of some of your constituents? Are your constituents where they? Where does where does where you say gun rights, for example, ranks in a litany of issues? There's always the argument that um, you know that this is kind of the, this, that it's kind of the third rail of American politics. There are a lot of people that perhaps are more liberal on some economic issues, but gun but for gun control, that's right. kind of you know that can be their flagship issue. And I'm I'm curious. Is it possible to get to – how do you get to members of the NRA if you agree with them on other issues? You agree with them on trade. You agree with them on factories going away. But they say, they say I'm afraid that you're going to take my gun away. How do you – what's the way to relate – what's the way – how do you – what's your argument there? Well, first of all, no one has taken anybody's guns away yet. So even during the assault weapon ban that you know, has subsequently lapsed 15 years ago – um, I would argue that their Second Amendment rights were not, you know, cur- curtailed in such a significant manner that they were unable to, you know, protect themselves, hunt, et cetera. So, I mean, we've already, you know, we've already lived through that period of time and, and nothing dramatic, you know, has, has happened, uh, you know, to, to those folks. Um, I think it really, de- it, again, it depends on how much they prioritize. There are certain people that will right. just absolutely not um, you know, budge. But I think that there are others that would say, look, you know, we need to be, we need to have things like background checks, um, you know, and, and have, uh, and have a discussion about extended clips and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, it, if you can appeal to voters on a larger, uh, on things like trade and the economy right. and healthcare and, and college affordability, that's one thing. But, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it is very similar to, to the debate surrounding reproductive rights, too. Um, there are certain people you can appeal to on a whole host of things, but if you are not in one of the, you know, if you are either pro-choice or pro-life, depending on what side you're on, they're not going to budge. Right. we got right. Uh, three minutes left in the uh, segment here. Senator uh, Alan Moore, you had a quick question. I, I, I just wanted to make one comment uh, relating to Ohio, since we've talked about uh, several of the politicians. We've not made reference to Rob Portman, the Republican senator. And, right. And Portman right. has been a leader, along with Joe Mankin of West Virginia and a handful of other bipartisan senators, pushing a background checks bill. And mm-hmm. and he's just he's been a leader on that. And, it, and, and he's obviously figured out how to navigate the the Ohio NRA political waters on it because um, uh, I think he continues to enjoy broad support and maybe now is the time for the Mankin Portman et al bill to uh, to move forward right to me to me's on that bill yeah yes. exactly yeah. exactly hey uh, Senator as always uh, we we love having you one of these days we got to get you into studio and spend the two I hours know it. I know you got to get down here We're, we'd love to have you these days, but uh, I'll, I'll be back <laughs> soon, and one of these days, we will not be crossing paths, and I will be in studio down at these days. Yeah, for those listening, there's a little inside joke. Uh, Senator tweeted yesterday, she was on the Acela on her way north to New York to be on Outnumbered on Fox, correct? That is correct. And I happened to be on the southbound Northeast Regional, uh, and we just waved hi to each other, apparently, in Philadelphia. Hey, uh, Senator, listen, travel safe. Uh, any Anything you need to plug? Anything you're going to be on coming up? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm on Trish Regan tonight at 8:30, and then tomorrow back on Outnumbered at noon, and then back to Ohio. Is that, is that a regular gig? Is that becoming a regular gig for you? 
I, I don't. I mean, I just, I just go where I'm told. <laughs> so I don't know. Very good. As always, Senator Gavri Kafaro, thank you very much on behalf of uh, Rich Rabino out there in Massachusetts in studio. Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, uh, Charlie Bernie, Rob the Engineer behind the glass. Thank you very much, and of course our producer Eric Thomas. And oh, okay, and and go ahead. And, and and Weaver. Weaver, Weaver the Wonder Dog, apparently. you got to give credit to Weaver the Wonder Dog. Uh, Eric Thomas, our producer, doing producer-type things. I'm your host, moderator, Justin Russell. Hey, by the way, you can follow us on uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook, our website, backroompolitics.org. You can also uh, check us out on your favorite podcasting services, Apple, Google, and even Spotify, because we're kind of a big deal. Hey, have a great week, America. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.